praise him. Thank you, Ellis and worship team, for leading us in that time of praising our Lord. Let me say to you, I was thinking about what Brock said a moment ago about uh, uh, being a guest and getting, finally getting back. We had a great, uh, great time away last weekend, and you know, my thought is, why have vacation if you're not going to take it? <clears throat> but, but let me say to you what a great time we had last weekend visiting uh, Savannah and Taylor. It was just a, just a good visit with them. It was hard to leave harder to leave this time than it was when we moved them up there. Not that they're not doing well. Uh, they are doing great. I'm so grateful for the grace of God in their lives, how they're plugged into the local church up there, how they're growing in the Lord. I'm very grateful for that. When we dropped, he dropped us off at the airport and Taylor said, let me pray with you. And so he started praying over us and a big, huge lump came up in my throat. <laughs> but it was a, just a wonderful time. But what I want you to know, church family, is how much I love you how deeply I love this body of believers. What an honor it is to serve with you. What a blessing it is. You're part of my family, and I love you deeply, and I am so grateful to serve alongside you. And let me tell you what I have become, I have come to believe with every fiber of my being, that the most fruitful and effective days are yet ahead for us as a church family. I really believe we're on the, uh, on the brink of seeing really great Things that God does through us if we will be obedient. If we will be obedient. And we will depend on Him, trust Him, obey Him together. Now, let me just tell you something. Every member of this body of believers is vitally important for that work. Everyone. And so we use our various gifts and, and ministry uh, empowerments that God has given to us and we work together for the accomplishment of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ in this area to help us live out our hope in Jesus and give the hope of the gospel to others. I'm just grateful I get to do life and I get to do the work of God with you. So I want you to know how deeply I love you. I also want to uh, remind you of an opportunity that's coming up this Christmas season for a way in which we can serve and impact our community. And um, <clears throat> just with a vision of, of Ellis and Christy Henson and Trish Payne to bring back our Christmas pageant that we used to do Christmas pageants every year for a number of years. And God used those pageants for, uh, in, in a great way. I, I remember there was a guy here in town that I had shared the gospel with. He was an agnostic. He came to our, one of our Christmas pageants many years ago, maybe as much as 20 years ago. He came to that Christmas pageant, and uh, he came by the church office the week after he had attended the Christmas pageant, and he wrote out a check to fund uh, those Christmas pageants in our music ministry. Uh, he said, I have been to, to Broadway shows that did not have the impact that this, that play had, and it's, a, and it's just good for our community. Here's a man that doesn't even know the Lord who felt that kind of impact uh, on his life. And so I'm praying that God will use that again this Christmas. Now, let me tell you why I tell you about this. One, to be praying about it. But two, because many of you will need to be a part of it. And if you have an interest in being a part uh, of that, uh, whether it's a speaking part, a singing, whether it be behind-the-scenes stuff, the staging stuff, all of that, then if you will be here today in the sanctuary at 3.30 uh, this afternoon... 
There's going to be an information meeting. You can learn more about that. You can get your name in the pot, so to speak, to help out with this. So it's just a great area of ministry for us this Christmas season. So 3.30 this afternoon. Write that down. Put an alert in your phone to notify you this afternoon. Be here at 3.30 for that meeting. Well, let's continue our time of worship. And man, didn't we just have a powerful time to praise our Lord through, through music? And now... We want to continue that worship by opening the Word of God. We had a great service in our first service, and I think God just really blessed uh, in that service, and I think lives were impacted, and so we, want, we just pray God does, does the same thing here. So let's pray together, and then we're going to get back into the book of Hebrews. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, it's impossible for me to stand here and preach the Word of God without you. I'm constantly reminded of my inadequacies. I need the gifts that you supply. I need the ability and the power you supply. And I pray, Lord, for you to give me clarity of mind, clarity in speech. Enable me, Lord God, to be the vessel you use to speak forth this truth that will exalt and glorify you, that will impact lives will minister deeply to men, women, boys, and girls. So I commit this time to you, and I do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 18 is the text for today. If you're our guest, I'm very grateful that you're here. And as Brock mentioned a moment ago, we'd love for you to stop off at the welcome desk on the way out. Let us talk with you more about what's going on here, and let us give you a gift for being here today. So please do that. But let me just give you uh, some insight about where we've been in the preaching time. I've been studying through the book of Hebrews. So for several months, we've been working through uh, Hebrews, and so that's where we're at today. We're picking up in the last section of verses that deals with an extensive theological, doctrinal section of this letter. It began in chapter 7. We're going to end it up today in verse 18. Then we're going to kind of get into some more practical aspects from here on out in the book of Hebrews. But here's what I want to speak on this morning. The gospel according to Hebrews. The gospel according to Hebrews. The very essence of the gospel of Jesus is recorded here in these verses from the perspective of the writer of Hebrews as he's inspired to write down. And these Hebrew Christians are being encouraged, they have been the whole time, that Jesus is greater than the sacrificial system, he's greater than the priesthood, he's greater than Moses, he's greater than Abraham, he's greater than angels, he's greater than, than, than the tabernacle, he is the ultimate high priest, he is the ultimate sacrifice, he is the only mediator that can bring people to God. So even though you're being pressured culturally, the writer's trying to communicate, draw near to God. Don't depart from Him. Don't walk away from Him just to have a more comfortable, easier life right now. You need to double down and draw near to God because there's nothing in the, the system of Judaism, there's nothing in this world that can do what Jesus Christ can do for you. You stay faithful. Jesus meets the greatest need that human beings have, the greatest need that you have, the greatest need that I have, and that is to be saved. Whether it's a woman or a man who lives in the most remote Amazon jungles of the world, who live as their ancestors lived in such a primitive fashion even a thousand years ago, 
to the most sophisticated, educated, worldly person in the big urban centers of our world, the need is the same. And that need is God. Now, sometimes people don't get the pathway to Him right, and they chase after false gods. But there's something within them that's, that's spurring them, that's moving them toward uh, a higher being because they know that's what they need or who they need. Others don't acknowledge the existence of God, and they mock people like us, and they say that, listen, you just need faith for a crutch because you can't get through life by your intellect and by your own abilities, so you need some kind of crutch to get you by. But I would submit to you that if those people are willing to admit it, there are times in their lives in the quietness of their own hearts that they recognize there is an unshakable emptiness within them. There is a void that intellectual gain cannot fill. There is a void that worldly pursuits cannot, cannot fill. There is a void that a feeling of superiority over others cannot fill. It's because there's an absence of God in their lives. There are some people who acknowledge that God exists, but yet they're having a great time doing what they're doing right now. They're living in sin. They don't know it's sin, but they're living in sin nonetheless. They've rebelled against God's design. They have, they have put themselves above God. They have worshiped self. They seek after whatever they desire to do. And they don't think about God much unless they get in a bind about something or they want something. Then they turn to Him and think that God's going to you know, give them whatever they need to spend on their own pleasures or get them out of some bind that they're in. But other than that, they, they pretty much just don't think much about God. But I will tell you there will come a time in their lives when they will get to a point where they will recognize that the sin they were in, even though they didn't even know it was sin, has left them, have, has left them empty and hopeless and broken. You know why that is? Because every human being is made for God. And when we do not have God, we are not complete. And the reason we do not have God is because of our sinfulness. It separates us from God. We need to be perfected so we can be brought into a relationship with God. There's only one who can perfect us. There's only one who can bring us into a relationship with God. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one mediator between God and man. The writer of Hebrews speaks of the human conscience. Now, elsewhere we find that in Scripture also. That's that mechanism that's put within us that helps us understand right from wrong. And because our conscience is guilty, because of our sin, that's where this separation again comes from, this separation uh, from God. And that conscience needs to be cleansed, and it cannot be cleansed by anyone else or anything else other than the Lord Jesus Christ because He is the answer to the human problem. And He brings hope, and He brings purpose, and He brings identity, and He brings fulfillment. And He gives us access to the one uh, that we need more than anything. He brings hope. And so I want to talk about that from this text today. So look with me in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. 
For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when He came into the world, that He is Jesus. He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that is, the first covenant, that he may establish the second. By that will, that is, by the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Now here's the key verse in verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these... There is no longer an offering for sin. That is, there is no longer a need to offer sacrifices. The main idea of this message today is this. By the superior sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are made perfect for a relationship with Him. By the superior sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are made perfect for a relationship with Him. Now, let me show you two major truths out of this text that support what I just gave to you. The first thing I want to show you is this. Christ's sacrifice is superior because it is sufficient. Verses 1 through 13. It is sufficient. Verse 1 begins with this clear understanding that the offerings that were continually offered under the old covenant and the old sacrificial system could not do what needed to be done to perfect people. That is to cleanse us, to take away our sin, that we might have a relationship with God. That, that word perfect means to bring to a desired end, to make complete is what that's really speaking of. So it speaks of having this relationship with, with the Lord. The things of the sacrificial system were mere shadows of the good things that were to come, the good things of genuine salvation that bring about true redemption, that bring about the taking away of sin and the perfecting of a person in, in the sight of God to bring them into relationship with the one true God. And none of these things, these, these former things under the old covenant could cleanse a person, could take a, 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 the sin away from a person. Now, 
God had a purpose for them. That purpose was a temporary covering. That, that purpose was a pointing to this coming sacrifice that would be the once and for all sacrifice to take away sin. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who did that. As John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The old system couldn't do it. There had to be a new system, a new covenant, the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus Christ. Worshippers could not have their conscience cleansed to approach God under the old system. The blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. But then verse 5 says, Therefore, when He came, that speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks of His incarnation when God became flesh and dwelled among us. And verse 5 there is emphasizing how His sacrifice is sufficient to take away sin. How? How is His sacrifice sufficient to take away sin? There's three things in this text that show us that. First of all, I want you to notice in verses 4 and 5 and 12 that His sacrifice is sufficient because the sacrifice had to come from the human race. See, verse 4 says, "...the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away those sins." But verse 5 lets us know that he came in a body. Verse 12 says, but this man, but this man came and, and, and offered one sacrifice for sins forever and sat down at the right hand of God. Now listen to me. This sacrifice for human sin had to come from the ranks of the human race. Could not come from animals. What kind of link is there between animals and human beings? How could an animal be the substitute for the entire human race. Uh, what kind of link is there there? The sufficient sacrifice to take away sin had to be from the human race. And that's why He came, as verse 5 talks about. Uh, he came to be that sacrifice. God became flesh and dwelled among us. John chapter 1, verse 14 says uh, that... Um, that the Word, that's Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. So God came to us. The Lord Jesus Christ has always existed. He's God the Son. And yet what He did is He added humanity, and He came to earth to be that sacrifice for sin because that that sin, that sacrifice for our sin had to come from the human race. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It was the will of God for the Son of God to become the Son of Man. It was the will of God that God the Son would become human and offer the sacrifice necessary to take away forever the sins of those who call on Him to be Lord and Savior. No matter if they're in the deepest, darkest recesses of the Amazon jungle or the plains of Africa or the Middle East or the most modern Western cities, it does not matter. He came for them all. And so He became that representation. And that's why His sacrifice is sufficient because it's from the human race. But a second reason that this sacrifice is sufficient is because this sacrifice had to come from one who was perfect in obedience to God. Well, it had to be from the human race, but it had to be a perfect human. There's no such thing apart from Jesus. 
as the perfect human. There are people who think they are perfect, but they are not. And so there had to be one that was perfect. And the Word of God teaches us here. Look with me in verses 5 through 7. There's a quotation here from Psalm 40, verses 4 through 6. And David received this. The Holy Spirit of God gave this to King David. It's a messianic psalm. It's the words of the Lord Jesus actually being given through the Spirit of God to King David. And look what it says here. He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Now that body there is not just anybody. It's a perfect body. It's from a perfect person who lived out the perfect will of God. He goes on to say, verse 6, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. That is, the Old Testament Scriptures testify of His coming. But look what that last phrase says. To do your will, O God. So He came to do the will of God. And that's exactly what He did. He did so with perfection. The Word of God taught us and. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 5 that, that he came and he was tempted in every point as we are, yet he did not sin. He was obedient to the law of God. He was obedient to the will of God in every aspect of life and he fulfilled the will of God with absolute perfection. And so he comes and he sets aside the old covenant and he establishes a new covenant. And because of his perfection... He was able to offer a sufficient sacrifice. And by the way, let me just say to you that since no human being is perfect, that Jesus also had to be God. He was God and He was man. And that's how He was able to be the perfect, sufficient sacrifice for our sins. And verse 10 tells us that by that will, that means by the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So his sacrifice is superior because it is sufficient. It's sufficient because it came from the human race. Not only that, it came from an absolute perfect human. It was also God too. <laughs> but then third thing we see here is, the third reason it's sufficient is because his sacrifice was once for all. Verses 10 through 13. Now verse 11 says that the priests stand and they minister daily, offering repeated sacrifices which cannot take away sin. They're constantly doing things within the, the, the temple. They were offering repeated sacrifices all year round. There was one day set aside that every year they went into the Holy of Holies and they put blood on the mercy seat there to atone for the sins of the people. It was a continual work that had to be done. It was a continual reminder that these sacrifices were not sufficient to take away human sin. If they were, they would have ceased. But they keep on offering them over and over because they could not do what needed to be done for human beings to bring us to God. But then verse 12 says, This man, after offering one sacrifice for the sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. You know what that shows? That shows his work was completed. Here in a little bit, I'm going to come right over here. and uh, How y'all doing? And I'm, I'm going to sit down right here. And when I sit down, that's because I'm done preaching. I'm D-U-N done. That means my work is done. Now, not, hopefully not for life, but just for this message. So it's a symbol I have completed my work. When Jesus Christ sat down, it is a symbol that His sacrificial work, His sufficient sacrifice that can take away the sin of all, was absolutely completed. 
There is no longer a need for sacrifice. He does not continually uh, uh, sacrifice himself over and over. He did it once for all. It, it is sufficient to take away the sin of all, but it must be applied for it to be effective. So Christ's sacrifice is superior because it is sufficient. But secondly, notice this. Christ's sacrifice is superior because it is effective. And it's effective because it's sufficient. Its sufficiency leads to its effectiveness. Now, I want you to look at something with me. Look at verse 14. This is the key verse to this passage. This is a verse that is glorious. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. This verse, when I read it and I think about it, it makes me want to shout praise to the Lord. When I read this verse and think about it, it opens my heart to a certain degree with a level of understanding at the magnificence of God's grace and love. When I think about this verse, it opens my heart to love God more and a desire to obey Him for what He has done for me because His sacrifice was and is sufficient. It is effective to do what all human beings desperately need, and that is to have our sin removed, to be made perfect, that we might have a relationship with God. And this relationship brings completeness. This relationship brings an eternal inheritance. One day we're going to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. One day we're going to be in, in the presence of the God of the universe. We're going to be in the presence of Him and in a place that is far superior to any experience, any place, any pleasure, any person we could ever experience here on this earth. He perfected us who were saved. That means He completed the goal cleansing us, taking away our sin to bring us to God Himself. Now notice who, who the ones are that this is being applied to. It's those who are being sanctified, present tense verb there. So what's being said here, I think, is he's referring to those who are continually being set apart to God through faith in Jesus Christ, generation after generation after generation. Through Jesus' sacrifice, people who by faith come to Him are completely forgiven for all time. We're made right with God. He takes away sin. Now in verse 4, the translation there, takes away, translates the Greek verb. It's used only one other time in the New Testament. It's used in Romans chapter 11, verses 26 and 27. And it speaks of removing the burden of sin from the conscience. Let me just tell you something that results when you get saved. Y'all with me? Y'all do your head like that if y'all with me. I say these things often, but sometimes I think maybe, <clears throat> y'all probably not like me, but sometimes I can miss things. I just kind of, I'll be not paying attention or somebody will move and distract me and, and then I'll miss something. I want you to know these two things I'm about to tell you. The first thing I want you to know when you get saved, I want you to understand that your sin is completely forgiven. Past, present, future. 
it is forgiven. There is a complete wiping clean of sin. Second thing I want you to understand is this. Not only is our sin forgiven, but the righteousness that we lack is given to us because the obedient life of Christ that he lived, you know, you see where I read in there where he came to fulfill the will of God? That life that you couldn't live or I couldn't live is also imputed to us. When, as Paul says, when we are in Christ, we're joined to Christ, life, death, and resurrection. So his sacrifice is sufficient for all but is never applied to a person's account apart from faith. And when faith is exercised, we are joined to Christ. And when we are joined to Christ, His death cleanses our sin because our sin has been paid for. And His holy and righteous life that fulfilled the law of God in every aspect is also given to us. So that we are in a complete state of rightness before God. Not because of what you did or what I did, but because of what Jesus did. And the application of that incredible sacrifice I'm talking about today. Now, that's amazing. Do you know after I got saved, do you know that I sinned after that? One time, but in 30-something years, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> One time a day or two or three, four or five times a day, whatever. Anybody in here not sinned since you got saved? If you raise your hand, you're lying. I'm just going to tell you that. Sean, I thought you were standing up saying that you... <laughs> I, thought, I thought, man, that's a bold brother right there. <laughs> now, we, we keep on sinning, don't we? But do you know what happens? Do you know that even the sin we commit... It's already covered by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You know that? You know, do you know that, that we often fail to be the righteous people that we're called to be? You know that? I mean, the Bible tells us that we're to pursue righteousness and godliness. I mean, it should be a pursuit of life. Like a pack of hounds chasing after a fox, I'm just telling you right now, the people of God ought to be chasing after righteousness. We ought to hunger and thirst for it. Um, but do you know we don't do that sometimes? Maybe a lot of the time? Let me ask you this. When you get up in the morning, does your mind go to God? I mean, do you purposefully discipline yourself to get your mind to go to God? That you want to seek Him? That, that you, want to, you want to get in the Word of God, not to be informed as much as transformed. God's not interested just in informing us. He desires to transform us. So we're not just reading the Bible. We've got to be doing the Bible. So let me ask you, do you get up every day and you focus? Man, I want to live for the Lord today. I want to seek Him today. I want to learn from His Word. I want to apply that and live that out. Now, if that's something that we don't do, if we get up and think little about God except maybe read a passage real quickly and then we just kind of forget about God the rest of the day, we're focused on doing our own thing, then I'm going to tell you something. I doubt very seriously we're truly pursuing righteousness. Now, we ought to correct that. It takes discipline. There, you know what? The Christian life, we're going to talk about when we get to chapter 12, is described that we're to, 
We're to run the race that's set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That word race there is a, it speaks of a marathon, a long, grueling marathon. Anybody in here ever ran a marathon? I know there's a few of our men are training right now for one, not me, but there's, there's a few that are. That does not interest me in one bit whatsoever. I'm just telling you, it doesn't. I hate to run. I do run sometimes. I walk mostly, but you get to running, you know, and you get to that point where you're just miserable, you know? And sometimes you hit that little mark where you don't even feel anything anymore. You're in a state of numbness, so you keep running then, but there's nothing pleasurable about that. You know, sometimes the, you know, sometimes the Word of God tells us that the Christian life is like a long, agonizing marathon. It takes discipline, focus, setting our mind on things. That's part of the discipline of the Christian life. But I'm going to tell you something. Even when we don't do that and we fail to pursue righteousness, do you know it does not change the fact that positionally before the Lord, we are righteous because of Jesus. Now, if that don't light you fire, I don't know what will. This is amazing. This is, this is beautiful that it's God's will to do this. Now, in the closing moments here, I want to give you about four areas of application for this we need to look at. The first thing I think of when I think about applying this text today, well, first, it should cause me to be so in love with the Lord and desire to worship Him. But here's some things that happen. First, through Christ's superior sacrifice, complete forgiveness of sin comes to those who by faith accept Christ. You know, there are some people who don't know they're sinners. There are some people who know they're sinners but don't think they can be forgiven. There are some people who uh, are forgiven if they can't understand why and they keep struggling with it. And there are some people who rest in the forgiveness of God. That's four kind of people. But let me tell you what Satan will do to you and I sometimes. He will beat us up over past sin. Here's what, here's what Satan does. He's such a scoundrel. He'll tempt you and tempt us and tempt us, and we fall into sin, and he's trying to say, this is so good, this is so good, this is so good, this is so good, then we do it. You know, then we, you know what he does? He says, you're despicable. How shameful you ought to be for what you've done. How can you look at yourself in the mirror every morning after what you've done? He loves to attack the people of God over past sin, present failures. He loves that. But you know what the Word of God tells me right here in this text? Verse 17 says, And their sins and their lawless deeds... I will remember no more. I will remember no more. Now, I don't think God gives himself a case of, of divine dementia, and he just loses that. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's sovereign. I think it means that because of the blood of Christ, now we're in such a state of redemption, it is as though we are clean and had never sinned. Our sins and our lawless deeds, he will remember no more. Somebody needs that in here today. 
Psalm 103 verse 12 tells us that we're separated as far as the east is from the west from our sin. That's how far our transgressions are separated from us. You ever, have you ever started to go east? How long is it? If you start right now and you start heading east, how long is it going to take you to get to east? Anybody know? Well, you're going to keep going around and around this globe. Then if you decide to go back the other way and go west, you're going to do the same thing. You know what that is? That's a way of communicating how complete our forgiveness is. <laughs> I'm not ready to shout. He completely forgives. Those sins we commit now have already been covered in the blood. Now, many struggle today under the guilt of the past or even present failures unnecessarily because the work of Jesus Christ takes that sin away. But let me show you a second thing. And that is that we are transformed to live a holy life. Verse 16 is where it's said here in this chapter, in these verses. We can go plenty of places in the Word of God that teaches this. Verse 16 says, This covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. This is a quotation from Jeremiah 31. You know what it means to have the law of God written in your hearts and minds? It speaks of that transformation that occurs. His word is etched upon our hearts and minds now. So when you get saved and, you're, and you're, your life is cleansed, if you really are converted, you don't think about continuing on in your sin. You think about now obeying the one that just saved you. That's what the word of God teaches us. We, we desire to live a life that's holy and different now. Now, someone might have been thinking a minute ago when I was talking about the completeness of forgiveness, you might have been saying, well, wait a minute now. If, even if our future sin's forgiven, so why should I even care what I do? Why not just keep living anyway? Because it's covered under the blood. Well, Paul anticipated this very question in Romans chapter 6 after he's writing about salvation by grace through faith and he is, and he is um, writing about the deliverance from the slavery of sin. And he said this in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? He went on to say in chapter 6, verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. We are saved to live a holy life. Matter of fact, you want to when you've been redeemed by the Lord. He changes you. He changes you to live so differently. His law is so etched in our hearts and minds that we desire a different direction of life. Now, can we stray? Yeah, we can. But I want you to know the kind of redemption He brings to us is a transformation. I was reading Dr. Tommy Lee's commentary on this passage and he's one of the commentaries I was reading and studying for this passage. And Dr. Lee was a professor at Southwestern for many years. And one of my spiritual mentors in and, and, uh, and, and, uh, and my theological education was one of his, uh, Dr. Lee was one of his mentors. Matter of fact, Dr. Lee's friend, uh, son, is a friend of mine. He's a pastor friend of mine here in our, our own state. Dr. Lee begins this section in the, his commentary 
on these verses by telling a story of a young Korean university student in 1958 who was, uh, got through the night of studying. He wrote a letter home to his parents. He sealed that letter up, went out onto the street to go down to the mailbox and drop that in, one of the city street mailboxes, drop that in. And he was approached by a group of teenage boys that began to beat him with pipes and sticks, and they beat him to death. And the city of Philadelphia was enraged by this. They couldn't believe that this happened. It was just such a, a tragedy. Things like that didn't happen in those days that, that much in, in, in that area. And so they, they were going to charge these teenagers as adults. They were even seeking the death penalty for them. This young man's parents uh, back in Korea learned of what all was going on, obviously, the, what they intended to do to prosecute these boys. And about 20 of the relatives of this young man gathered together, and they prayed about this. And then they wrote a letter to petition the authorities not to be so harsh on those boys, but to go uh, lighter on their sentence. And that group, that family, had gathered money together uh, that once those boys had served their time, they could have some religious training and they could have some vocational training to kind of get back on their feet and start their lives. And to close out their letter, they said this. They said, We have dared to express our hope with the Spirit received from the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. It was because they had been forgiven so much by God through His grace that they wanted to extend grace to others. I pastored in the state of Alabama uh, just over the line for a few years, and there was a lady in our church that came to Christ at about age 40, and I baptized her, or in her 40s, and I baptized her. Uh, she was a widow. Her and her husband were leaving the Bonifay Rodeo years ago and were headed up 173, about the Poplar Springs area, and they were hit by a drunk driver. A vehicle overturned. They had, it was pulling a horse trailer. Their vehicle overturned, caught on fire, and uh, Debbie's husband, Ray, uh, was killed in that wreck. The young man was uh, prosecuted, and he was sentenced to prison for uh, the death of her husband, and she wrote him in prison and said, I want you to know that I forgive you. And the reason I can forgive you is because I've been forgiven. And she sent him a Bible, and she wanted him to come to know the same Jesus that she knew. See, when you recognize how much grace you've been shown then you want to live a transformed life showing grace to others. I'm telling you, when Jesus gets a hold of a life, He changes that person. And one of the most deep tragedies of the Christian life is when we lose sight of how much we've been forgiven. And we become self-righteous. And we look down our nose at everybody else. And we elevate ourselves above others. That, that's not a good person to be around. A third area of application is that salvation, we need to understand, is by faith alone, through Christ alone, not by religious rituals. It's not by what we can do. I had a conversation not too long ago with a, 
with a person who said to me, I just, I just hope I'm going to make it one day. I hope I can do enough good to make it. And I said, well, y- you won't. <laughs> Jesus did all we needed to be done for us to be forgiven and have eternal life. You, you need to receive Jesus. See, we don't serve to get saved. Religious systems all over the world sometimes are based on that. You've got to do a whole bunch of stuff to gain this favor you know, of God. We don't serve to get saved. We get saved and then serve. Chapter 9, verse 14 talks about that here in the book of Hebrews. But then finally, another final point of application is that we need to understand from this text that the gospel stabilizes life. We're stabilized by the gospel of Jesus. Our conscience is perfected, so the burden is lifted, and we have union with Christ. We have a relationship with the God of the universe. We have the benefits and the spiritual blessings of that relationship that He brings to us. He strengthens our lives. He gives us identity. He gives us hope. He gives us a future that is glorious. He can strengthen marriages. He can fix situations in life. He can even allow the tribulations and trials we go through to work for our good. That's what he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He stabilizes life. And we're, we're adrift to the mercies of all sorts of forces we don't want to be uh, at mercy to when we're not saved and living for Jesus. By the superior sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are made perfect for a relationship with God. I wonder today, are you under satanic assault and the enemy is continually reminding you of your failures, your sin, the shame of your present failures, the shame of your past sin. Would you grab hold of the truth I've just said today? Your sin and your lawless deeds, he remembers no more. Romans 8, 1 says, there is is therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. You take hold of that promise today. Maybe as a believer, you would say today, I I just have been reminded again of what the Lord has done for me and I have not been very faithful to Him like I should be for such grace that I've been shown. And and maybe you'd say, yeah, I need to get my life back on track with the Lord. I I just need to repent. I just need to get get to living with the Lord again. I, I was saved to serve Him. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Be at peace with all men. Pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We're to be pursuing holiness. And, and, you know, how can we understand such powerful truth and then continue to live a life of complacency and disobedience and not live for the Lord? You know, the writer of Hebrews has already warned us in chapter 2 that how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You know what he means by that? How will we escape the discipline of God 
If we do not live the fullness of the redeemed life, man, the church of Jesus Christ in America today largely is full of worldliness. We're chasing after sin. We're living for the world. God's, he's not first in our lives. We're, we need revival. The church needs to stop the complacency. Quit neglecting our salvation and live it out. Well, today we can start that. We can turn from the ways of the world to pursue godliness. Do the work of God. Finally, maybe you've never been perfected because you've never come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of Christ has not been applied to your life by faith. You've not turned in repentance and surrendered to Him. Will you come to Him today? I plead with you to come to Him today. Will you turn from sin, turn to Him in faith, surrendering to Him as Lord, and He will cleanse you, and He will make you righteous today. We're going to stand to sing, and I'm going to ask you, you need Jesus as Savior. You, you come to me down here and say, I need Jesus as Savior today. The altar's open. We probably should fill the altar today and surrender to the Lord. Say, oh, oh God, thank you for what you've done for me. Now, I want to live for you. Maybe some need to join the church. This is where God desires you to identify this body of believers. And I invite you to come. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for the stirring of my own heart, the edification of my own life through the reminders of these great promises. And Father, I believe you've spoken. I believe, Lord, you want us now to respond, and I pray we will respond. Lord, do what you want to do in this time, and don't let us be rebellious submissive to you. Of course, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand, please.